Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. I want to take a minute and introduce a buddy of mine, John Murphy, come on up here. Um, John's going to be preaching for us today, and I've known John, gosh, eight years now, something like that. And we actually did a church planning residency together, so when I was kind of getting ready to move here and start this church, uh, John was actually planning a church in North Carolina, and so we got to walk through that time, got to spend three days together, um, I guess every other week for about nine months studying and working and planning and praying and um, all the things that were going into uh, starting a new church. And so uh, John now is at Frontline here in Oklahoma City. And so he's on staff there. And it's been fun to get to reconnect and uh, just to get some time together. And um, he was actually slated to come preach in March, the first Sunday that we canceled for, for COVID. And I remember at the time saying, you know, this thing, like two or three weeks, and it'll blow over and it'll be okay. And turns out it was a little more than yeah, Here we are. <clears throat> here we are. So. <laughs> Um, I want to turn it over to John, but John is just a great, great guy, a humble guy that I've really enjoyed personally. I love his passion. I love his heart. Um, he's a guy who had a, had a brotherhood in the military and thought he was a lifer there, and um, life took a different turn and kind of wandered a little bit and then found a brotherhood in the church with the mission that, that we have here in the kingdom, and God ignited his heart and it's continuing to work in his life. And so I wanted him to come and just be able to share with you guys and us to be able to learn from him. Yeah. So love good you, brother. Here. Love you too, man. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I was a little bit bummed that I wasn't able to be with you back in March, like the week everything got locked down because of COVID. Uh, but I think that what the Lord had that week is going to be, uh, it's going to be more fitting this week. So like Jeff, and Jeff said, he, he and I did this church planning residency together. And one of the defining memories just of that season for me uh, was sitting down with Jeff probably a week or so before we began that residency while we were in North Carolina. Uh, we were like ships crossing in the night. He was about to leave. And uh, I, I sat down and, and as a young, I mean, planted a church at 28, which should probably be illegal. And uh, Seriously. And, and Jeff just sat and listened, and he was so kind, and he didn't do the, like, a young buck, like, you don't even know. He just listened, and, and he was kind. And so there's actually, I think we have a picture of, uh, this is our residency class. Now, trying to find me is a bit like trying to find where's Waldo, because it was pre-church planting. And so what I found out, you know, I'm, I'm like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. And, and I found out that church planting is actually a little bit more like the second picture that I think we have here. Do we have this? Yeah, I found out that it's a little bit more like this. Day one felt a lot like that. And then somewhere, somewhere around like year two, three, somewhere in there, I, I'm crying out for Wilson and, and wondering what's going on. I, I love this meme because I actually think it's fitting for so many things. Like right now, I think that was probably most of you in February, and this was you like April 1st, right? You're beyond whatever this is with your kids. Quarantine happens. You're like, this is going to be great. I'm going to make sourdough bread. I don't know why that's become such a huge thing during quarantine, right? And by like 30 or 40 days into it, you're like, Wilson, just come and take me home. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it, it was cool. It really was to, 
talk with Jeff and to hear his hopes and dreams for coming back home, coming back here to Edmond and planting a church. And, and what, what's really cool is to see here the artifact of that becoming a reality and for him to share stories of what he hoped the Lord would do and who he hoped the Lord would save and to bring and to see those, those faces. You know, Jeff and I are dreaming about this together, not really knowing what's going to happen and who the people are going to be. And, and here you are, and it's encouraging. And as we thought of you, we didn't really picture masks on you, <clears throat> but here, here we are. Um, I, I want to let you know, and I know so many of you do, you, you have a great pastor. He loves you dearly. He cares about you a lot. I love the way that he talks about you guys uh, as we get together and, and what he believes uh, for your lives from the Lord. So let's pray. We'll jump into Psalm uh, 103. Father, I thank you for this family. Uh, I thank you for this family that feels like a family that I'm just now meeting in a lot of ways. And, and I thank you for the ways that you have uh, answered Jeff and Nan's prayers and desires, and, and that you've answered ones that they didn't even know to pray. And, and I thank you that you're sustaining them dur even during this just difficult, odd season. Jesus, you, you love this church. You, you purchased this church by your blood, and I pray that you would continue to care for her, that you'd continue to build her up. I pray that you'd keep redemption unified. And, and right now, Jesus, as we turn to your word, I, I pray that by your spirit that you've sent, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, and that ultimately, Spirit, uh, you'd satisfy us with the person and work of Jesus in our place. It's in your name, Jesus. It's for you that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're not there already, go ahead and head to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. Now this, that, that you heard Chris read, uh, read earlier, it, it's interesting because this is a familiar psalm to us, right? There, there's a song that's written about it, bless the Lord, O my soul, worship his holy name. We're, we're familiar with this song, but I wonder if you've thought about how oddly worded it is. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is verse one and two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, David says, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And we may expect David here to call on other people to bless the Lord. And I think that's often how we read it. It's how we sing it. We'll gather together and be like, man, bless the Lord. Kind of look around like y'all need to be blessing the Lord over here and over here. I can't see your mouth moving through the mask. That's not actually what he does. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Who's he telling to bless the Lord? He's telling himself. He, he's having a conversation with himself, with his own soul, where he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why does he do this? Because David, like you and I, is quick to forget. He's just like we are. We're so quick to forget. And so we need to ask the question, like, what do we do on days or weeks or months or seasons when we just don't feel it? Like we're just not in it. We're like, man, I, I've been doing everything that I can to stay close to you, Lord, and it just feels like you're so distant. What do you do on days or weeks or seasons when apathy sets in? And you get up in the morning and you're like, man, I... Like, I don't even want to read my Bible. I don't even want to pray. I've prayed everything I could pray, and it doesn't feel like you're showing up. What do you do then? What do you do when, on days when it feels like God is distant? What do you do on days where you're like, I feel distant? 
if I'm honest, the love and affection that I had for Jesus, like I just don't feel it anymore. What we do is we gospel ourselves. We pray and preach the good news to ourselves. This is exactly what David is doing. You can feel it in Psalm 103. David is taking these weighty truths about who God is and he's clinging on to them and bringing them down into the depths of his soul. Like, I may not feel it right now, but God, you're for me. This is what he does. He takes these weighty, beautiful theological truths and he declares them to himself. He's reminding himself of things that he's quick to forget and things that you and I are quick to forget. The central truth of all of Psalm 103 is in verse 13, where David says this, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Here's the big idea. God's a good father. That's what David wants you to get. And that's what David first wants his own soul to be reminded of, that God is a good father. This is the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came to bring you to a father, to bring you to a father, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as a dearly loved son or daughter. Jesus came so that you and I, if you're in Christ, could call God father because that's what he is. This is what he says in the Lord's prayer. Pray to God, not, not God. Pray to him as father. And that's difficult. I know for so many people, we'll, we'll pray to God as anything but father. It's because father, like, man, that's intimate language. And, and so many of us struggle. And, and here's one of the primary reasons I think that is. Because we have a tendency to view God as father through the lens we view our own earthly father, good or bad. So if you had a good present dad who was there for you, who walked with you, who showed up, who was present in your life, responding to God as father is probably easy for you. Because you're like, man, I had a good earthly father. But if you had an absent dad, like maybe you grew up and your dad was there physically, but he wasn't actually there, it's hard. Maybe you grew up and all you wanted was a dad and you didn't have a dad. Maybe your dad died early on. Like it's just painful. It's difficult for a lot of people. What David is doing is praying to God as father. And my hope for you is even if you've got a jacked up story, even if your story of fatherhood, there's a twinge of pain as we even turn to this text. My hope is that the Lord meets you in that. So let's ask this question, because this is the question we should be asking. What makes God a good father? Because I can't just come to my kids and be like, hey, I'm a good dad. That should be enough for you. I just told you I'm a good dad. No, David points to these artifacts about what makes God a good father. So let's ask that question. What makes God a good father? He actually answers that in this text. As he continues on, he answers that. And so what we'll see this morning is six things that David points out, that David declares to his own soul about what makes God a good father. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start these six things with verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And then we're going to see one of those benefits. We're going to see one of the things that David declares to his own soul. So first, what makes God a good father? He's forgiving. He's forgiving. Again, verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here's the benefit. He forgives all your iniquity. 
He heals all your diseases. Skip down to verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, to our rebellion. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He's forgiving. This is the nature and the character of God. God actually deals with you and I, friends, if we're in Christ, he actually deals with us based on our identity, not on our action. Based on another way of saying that is that God deals with us actually based on who we are, not on what we do. This is what a good father does, right? Like my kids don't have to wake up day in, day out and wonder if this is the day that they get kicked out of the family, that they're no longer sons or daughters of their dad. This is what a good dad responds to his kids, both in delight and in their rebellion, based on who they are, not what they do. My kids don't have to wake up and think, what are we going to do to earn dad's favor? What are we going to do to stay in the family? God's quick to forgive. It's what makes him a good father. As a good father, he's forgiving. Second, David points out that his love is steadfast. God's a good father and his love is steadfast. Look again at verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We're declaring these things to ourselves. Forget not all of his benefits. Here's the benefit. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Skip down to verse eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Down to verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Skip down to verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. It has no beginning or no end. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. When the Bible says that God's love is steadfast, when God refers to his love as steadfast, this is covenantal language. See, God had made a covenant with the people of Israel that he's going to be their God. They're going to be his people. And when he would refer to this covenant, he would say, my love for you is steadfast. It's rooted in a promise. I'm never going to leave that promise. I'm not going to break it. It's part of the character and the nature of God. So when you read that term, steadfast love, he's rooting and grounding his love in a covenant that he's made. Long before you or I lived, his love is steadfast. What it means that his love is steadfast is our relationship with him isn't transactional. It's not like how God feels about us isn't isn't dependent on what we do or what we don't do. As much as you and I, friends, have to like sometimes amp our hearts up to love the Lord, like we gotta do things to stir our affections for the Lord, you know he never has to do that. As God tells the son, hey, rise, do it again, do it again, do it again, He doesn't have to amp himself up to love us that day because his love is steadfast. As a good father, his love is sure and steadfast like an anchor. Third thing, he's gracious and merciful. As a good father, God is gracious and merciful. Again, verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here's the benefit. The Lord is merciful and gracious. 
When David uses this language, he's reminding himself, he's reminding the people who would sing these psalms, he's reminding you and I of the Exodus. When God set the people of Israel free from their slavery to the Egyptians, he's reminding them of the Exodus, and he's using it as an illustration of his graciousness and his mercy. You see in in Exodus, God sets the people free. They're they're leaving Egypt. The Egyptians begin to pursue them. And if you know this story, God actually parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. God causes the Red Sea to come back down, destroys their enemies that they were so terrified of, leads them out into the wilderness. I mean, they've, they've just seen this. And just a little while later, Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving instruction from the Lord. And the people are like, nah, it's too much, man. We need, it. We need a God that we can see. Right? They're like you and I. They're so quick to forget. They're prone to wander. And so they come to Aaron and they're like, we need a God that we can see. I, I want to see the God that set me free from the Egyptians. Aaron makes for them a golden calf. Moses comes down. He's not happy. The Lord's not happy. Right after that incident, though, this is how God responds. God says in Exodus 34, verse 6, The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God's a good father, and as a good father, he's gracious and he's merciful. He extends grace to us. Grace is free and unmerited favor. There's nothing we do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to get it. He extends mercy to us. In him extending mercy, he withholds the just punishment that we deserve from us. The people of God, like you and I, they continually wandered. They continually forgot God and his provision. And God continued to over and over and over again extend his grace and his mercy to them. Because as a good father, he's gracious and he's merciful. Fourth thing David declares to his soul, as a good father, God is slow to anger. Verse two, again, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here's the benefit, verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now here's what's interesting. We may not like this, God still gets angry. He's just slow to anger, is what David is saying. He still gets angry. Now, there's like a vein of theological thought right now that's like, hey, God doesn't get angry. He would never discipline. That's not what happens. No, a good dad disciplines his kids. And this is what God does. He's just not quick to anger. A, A good dad, like there's a way to discipline your kids, to be angry with your kids that's actually for them. And this is what David's saying about God. He's slow to anger, but he does at times get angry. There's a way, if you're a parent, you know this. There's a way to be angry with your kids in a way that's for them. And there's a way to be angry with your kids that's for you, right? The way that's for them is I see you headed down a path that's going to lead to destruction. And and I'm angry for your own good. Like I'm jealous for your own good. And then there's a way that, that... You and I, if we're honest as parents, we're often angry with our kids. It's actually for us. So we'll be in the grocery store. If you got young kids, they're running around, acting a fool, grabbing stuff, trying to throw it into the shopping cart, and you're like, I'm angry because you're making me look bad. 
This isn't how Murphys react. This isn't how Murphys respond, right? That's not actually for them. I care more about myself. That's like a selfish kind of anger. This isn't how God responds to us. Like any good father, he does discipline, he does rebuke, he does bring correction, but he's slow to anger. And it doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change who we are. As a good father, he's slow to anger. Fifth thing, as a good father, he's slow to anger and he doesn't stay angry. Verse two, again, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse nine, he will not always chide nor will he, chide is another way of saying rebuke, nor will he keep his anger forever. Psalm 30 verse five, the psalmist says, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Again, this is so unlike who we are. We're often quick to anger and then once we're angry, we're staying there. I'm not coming down off that hill. Typically, we'll hold grudges. We'll say things like, man, I I can forgive you for a lot of things, but I'll never forgive you for this. This isn't the heart of our father. He's not like that. As a good father, he doesn't say angry. Last thing from Psalm 103, sixth thing. As a good father, he's compassionate. He's compassionate. Again, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse two, forget not all of his benefits. Here's the benefit, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. Verse 16, for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. He's compassionate. This is intimate language. And this word occurs over and over and over again in the Bible as God refers to what his love is like, who he is like. It happens over and over and over again. And it's a deep word describing the emotional connection between God as a father and between his people as children, his family as children. What it means is that he actually, he understands our frame. Like he he knows who we are. God actually knows, like you're quick to forget like I am. You're quick to have that day where maybe you have this Sunday where you come in, you worship the Lord, you celebrate communion. You're like, man, I'm so renewed and refreshed in the gospel. And then Monday's a hot mess. You're like, I I don't even know what happened. I felt so much fervor and passion for the Lord. And it seems like it's all gone. I've forgotten it all. God actually understands that. He gets that we're like him in some ways and we're not like him in a whole lot of other ways that we're quick to forget, that we're prone to wander. He understands our condition. He understands our frailty. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're prone to wander. He knows that we're quick to forget. This is one of the reasons Psalm 103 is in the Bible. Like we need this, man. We need to remind ourselves of this. As a good father, David says he's, he's forgiving. His love is steadfast. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He he doesn't stay angry. He's compassionate. This is incredible news. What a good father we have. But there's a contradiction. Now, I'm a bit cynical by nature. I don't like it. I wish I wasn't. 
but I'm always looking for the holes. I'm always searching for the angles, like, wait a second, you said this, and you said this. I don't know how it goes, right? I'm cynical. It makes it difficult probably to be married to me. Think of this. David says this, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide or rebuke nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's good. Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. I like that. It sounds the same. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Uh Uh-oh. Well, which is it? right? Like, is God slow to anger? He doesn't deal with us based on our guilt, based on our iniquity? Or or is it Nahum 1.3, like, God will by no means clear the guilty? Some of us read Nahum 1.3, and we're like, great. Things are a hot mess in America right now. I can think about a whole lot of guilty people who need to not be cleared until you're like, ah, I'm one of them. Well, which is it? Paul says this in Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Is it true that God doesn't deal with us according to our guilt, according to our iniquity? Or is it true that he will by no means pardon the guilty? We answer with a hearty and faith-filled yes. They are both true. This is what Paul's saying. It's actually at the cross that both of these things collide in this beautiful way. At the cross, we see that God will by no means pardon the guilty. At the cross, God the Father crushes God the Son. He he places on God the Son all of the wrath, all of the punishment that you and I deserve to bear. He doesn't clear the guilty. In Christ, he makes Jesus the guilty in the place of the guilty. And he pours out his wrath and Jesus totally fulfills it. God does not overlook sin by him saying he's not going to respond to us according to our iniquity. It's not. He's just going to give us a pass. It's going to, it's, it, it means that he's poured it out on the shoulders of Christ because he by no means clears the guilty. He pours the punishment for our guilt, our sin, our shame onto Jesus so that we might become children of God. In the life of Jesus, the only time that Jesus doesn't pray to God as Father is on the cross. It's the only time. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we know to be true of Jesus is that Jesus experiences, Jesus lost the experience. That phrase is really important. He did not lose the love of God the Father. He lost the experience of that love as the wrath that you and I deserve is poured out on Jesus and for the first time in his life, He doesn't pray to God as Father. His experience of the relationship, of the closeness, of the nearness of God, Jesus experienced separation that we might be brought near to God. And you only get that, you only get this relationship with God as Father through faith in what Jesus has done. So 
like it, it's popular to say we're all children of God. That's only truth through Christ. So if you've not confessed your sin, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, if your hope isn't in the finished work of Jesus in your place, whereby you're adopted into the family of God, you're not actually a child of God. But his offer to you is, I I want you in my family. I, I sent my son and poured out the punishment that you deserve, that I might adopt you into my family. This is why Jesus came, that you and I might have a father and become sons and daughters. We get this not because of what we are. We get this not because of what we do, but because of what we are. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who we are through faith in what Jesus has done. There's nothing that my kids can do that's gonna make me take the last name Murphy away from them. It's theirs. How? Like we didn't just call them Jack, Key, and Audra, we'll see how y'all turn out before we give you the name Murphy, before we actually bring you into this family. No, 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 they, they got that. We set that love on them. This is what it means that God adopts us into his family. If you've adopted kids, you know, or you know someone who's adopted kids, you know that they're not, they're not like, often adopted parents love and pursue a child that they don't even know if, if that child exists yet. This is the love of a good father that we have. This is what we need to remind our souls of in a time that's so tumultuous like right now, where so many of us are like Jeff was talking about. We've got anxiety and we've got fear and we've got insecurity. And what we need to hear in that moment is David saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. He's a good father. I may not feel it. I may not experience it right now, but I'm gonna declare this to my soul over and over and over again. For some of you, again, this this is really hard for you. Like, I I know there's probably people in here who've been abandoned by their dad. And and you just are like, man, I'll I'll respond to God in any way but Father. Man, that word has, it's got too much. It's got too much pain. It causes too much pain. The Lord would say to you, Psalm 27, verse 10, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. Maybe you need to, like I need to, pray that the Lord would help you to actually experience this love of a father. Maybe you've got this head knowledge that God is a good father and it just doesn't sink down into the reality of who you are, especially in this season. This is why Jesus sent the Spirit. This is what Galatians 4 says. He's sent the Spirit that we might cry, Abba, Father. What he's saying and what Jesus would say in the high priestly prayer in John is that one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does is give us a practical experience of the fatherhood of God. That we might actually cry out, feel, not just know, but experience the reality that God is a good father. Thomas Goodwin, he's a Puritan from the 1600s. He, He had this illustration that I thought was really helpful. He's talking about walking down the street As he's walking down the street, across the street, he sees a son and a dad walking together. I love, man, I love this. He says, as he's watching this son and dad walk down the street, he says, the dad reaches down and he scoops up his son and he just says to the son, I love you. 
just as they're walking for no reason, they're walking, he just reaches down, scoops him up and says, I love you. And the point that Thomas Goodwin makes that we need to hear is that he wasn't anymore a son when he was picked up. Like it wasn't like he wasn't a son and then he picks him up and he's like, oh, I am a son. But you better believe he felt his sonship a lot more as his dad picked him up and said, I love you. And so for some of you, it's okay for you to say, man, I I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Spirit's influence. I'm not feeling the reality of who I am in God's eyes during this season. God feels distant. He feels absent. He feels estranged. Jesus would say, ask for the Holy Spirit. God's a good Father who's going to give you those desires. Ask those things. Pray saturate yourself with that truth. Have conversations with yourself over and over and over again. Bless the Lord, forget not all of his benefits. He's compassionate, he's slow to anger. You and I, friends, like David, we're quick to forget. We're quick to forget and we need the Lord's help. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my friends and for my own soul. And, um, and, and confess that we are so quick to forget. We're so quick to, the, the moment the temperature starts to rise and it feels like we're being pressed, we're, we're so quick to forget both who you are and who we are. And so I just ask in this moment, that we would get, maybe even today, a practical experience by your spirit of whose we are and who we are in Christ, by, what, by faith in what Jesus has done in our place. You call us dearly beloved sons and daughters. So for my friends in here who don't feel that, who don't experience that, I pray that you'd meet them. Father, I pray that you'd meet them in the grief and the anxiety and the turmoil I pray that they would experience you as gracious and compassionate, that they would experience you not telling them to get somewhere faster, to move harder, to to be better, to do more, but that you just meet them. And like a good father, put your arms around them, you'd scoop them up and tell them I love you. Jesus, we thank you for your word. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.